it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 708 for December 11th, 2021. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchot's back with Programming by Stealth 131 of X. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing good after... I was I, These show notes were one of those weird ones where I think they've come together well, but that wasn't true like six hours ago. Yeah, when I texted you, I, I think you used the word panic. And whatever happened in between, uh, I've given them a run through and they're fantastic. I think it's great. Well, I basically, it's a big piece of work. And it was like, you know, that roll of sellotape someone didn't carefully fold over the end on? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I couldn't figure out where to start. It was this great big thing. And there was, I was going around and round and round going, I start here. No, then I was just going round in circles for days. But anyway, like I say, I, I like where I've ended up with the notes. They, they feel right. And it's the best and, uh, example is... ever. The best example yeah. ever in your end case. I just love it. So I won't spoil well, it. Though. You know, nerds, ner- nerds, be, nerds be nerdy. Anyway, let us get stuck in. So last time I gave you the sales pitch on why we want documentation and what we want from the documentation uh, who our audiences would be, what those audiences would want. And basically, I, I hope I sort of excited people on the concept of documentation, which is difficult, but I, I think I might have done that. Well, I think what you did was excited the audience on the uh, the the pure joy that is automatically generated documentation that encourages <laughs> you to do your heavy lifting, but not all of the heavy lifting. Yes, and yeah, you do it as you go, which means it never feels like a chore because it's just always been done as you go, yeah. sort of, which is a big difference because making time to do a big chore is difficult, whereas if every time you walk down the stairs, you bring one thing with you, before you know it, you've, everything's in the right place. Right, right. And I like this because it's a, people say, oh, I'll add accessibility to my app later. Well, no, <laughs> if you do it as you go, you learn how to do it and it's not a chore. It's just, yeah, and I spell checked along the way too. You know, it's just what you do yeah. because that's what you're going to do. So uh, exactly. I'm looking forward to this because I've tried to read the documentation. I've tried to read what you've write, written. I've tried to replicate it in my own and I have summarily failed entirely. So maybe it's because I haven't learned how to do it yet. Well, let's let's have a go. So to, we're going to do this as a game of two halves. So today we're going... So basically you write the doc comments in your source code and then Javadoc translates those into a pretty website. Javadoc or JSDoc? Uh, that's the one, JSDoc. Sorry, okay. brain stuck on... Brain stuck way back in the 90s. Ooh, goodness. <laughs> Gee, that's scary. Okay, so say, yes, say it, it again. You write it, but JSDoc turns it into documentation. Turns it into a nice pretty web page that you can view the content that you've written in those doc comments in a nice way. And you actually have quite a bit of control over that translation. But that is a very, very different thing than writing the doc comments. Yeah. And I've decided the only way for this to make any sense is to do it as two separate steps. So we'll write the documentation today in the sense of the doc comments. And then next time we look at how to control the conversion. So for today, we are going to convert them into a web page, but it's going to be the default, like 100% by the book, the default. Okay. But it will give us a pretty good taste of what's possible. And then next time we're going to actually control it because remember, we have two audiences. So we actually do want to have a little bit of smarts in how we convert our docs so that we address our two audiences. None right. of that is today's topic. Today, we're just writing the doc comments. So right. what? We're describing yeah. the what. 
Now, didn't we also look at this back when I, I want to say it was when we were doing the uh, the game of life, maybe? Yeah, I definitely tried to do it at some stage and I did, made the terrible mistake of rushing it because I thought it was easy. Uh, this is a very silly thing. This, whenever I've thought something is easy, I've been wrong. Right? We were going <laughs> to spend two weeks on Git, remember? <laughs> Some of the best parts of, of this uh, this show, in my opinion. Okay, um, and I, I hope you'll at some point explain to us how the how to think up the doc comments. Because I look at what you write and I go, I wouldn't know to have written that. So that's where I think um, I'm definitely going to be stuck. Okay, well, I will bear that in mind as we describe what we've done then. I'll, I'll, I'll explain okay. my thinking as we look through the worked example, because we're very much working off a worked example today. But before okay. we get to the worked example, let's lay some fundamental concepts down, because it's always better to understand the fundamentals before you try to dig too deep. So the first thing to understand is that JS Doc is something called a static code analyzer, which sounds very fancy. <laughs> What it means is that JS Doc actually understands JavaScript code. It actually oh, really? parses it just like Node.js or your browser does. So when you run JavaScript in your browser or with Node.js, the first step is to parse your human readable code into ones and zeros and then execute them. Well, a static code analyzer does half of that. It parses the code but it doesn't run it because hmm. your code could reach out to a server. It could do something. So you don't want to run it. But a static analyzer goes halfway and parses it. So it doesn't just know that, you know, something which starts with var is a variable. It actually knows that it is. I've, it knows the very specifics of your code. Really? So it knows huh. that it's a variable, that it is that it was done with a letter, with a const. It knows what's a function. It knows what it, you know, it, it, it know it understands the code. So if you were to say uh, uh, in your creation of the doc comments or of the documentation, if you were to say this thing is a function, but it isn't a function, it's just a constant, would it barf at you and say that doesn't make any sense? It wouldn't barf at you because it does allow you to override because in JavaScript, you can do weird things like use functions as variables. Oh. So JS doc will allow you to override what looks like the obvious thing and it will believe you're overriding. But you don't. if you don't tell it anything, it will figure it out. And if it figures it out wrong, you have the power to tell it no. Okay, all right. Because you could write a function that returns a function. And so what you actually want to document is the function that comes out, not the function itself. And okay. so JSDoc would never know that because it's a static code analyzer. Okay. That makes sense. So there but, are but what if I say yeah. something's an array and it's not an array? Oh, it will believe you because JavaScript is a loosely typed language. So Okay. All right. If if you were writing now this is where ESLint would come in, right? Because ESLint understands JavaScript. Because e okay, here's here's the next thing. ESLint is a static code analyzer. That's how ESLint can ESLint. Oh, okay. So it is also parsing it, but not executing. Yes. Correct. And syntax highlighting. Synth bad syntax highlighting is just regular expressions. Good syntax highlighting is static code analysis, which allows it to be much cleverer. And those pop-up hints that good IDEs give you. They're static code analyzers. That's how it knows when to suggest a variable, when to suggest a function, because it understands the JavaScript you're typing. My little friend uh, GitHub Copilot would be a static analyzer as well then. 
it must be doing that. It absolutely must, or it couldn't be half as intelligent as it is. But you don't have to go that far, right? Just IntelliCode, which is the default uh, autocomplete you get with um, that Xcode, the Microsoft One... Visual Studio VS Code. code. VS Code, yes. Um, it's also static code analyzer. So any of the good developer tools are almost all static code analyzers. That's how they can be clever, because okay. they understand the code. Okay. So... ESLint would help you there if you try, if your JS doc comment was garbage, ESLint could have a rule that says, no, warn, right? Warn okay. the user they're being silly. Okay. So ESLint has rules for JS doc because ESLint is a JavaScript static code analyzer and ESLint understands JS doc. So ESLint is actually doing double the analysis and ESLint is twice as brainy and it can, uh, can correct our JavaScript and our JS doc. I've got teachers with very rulers critical. wrapping my knuckles right and left. Yeah, from both sides. It's two-handed, yeah. <laughs> You're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. Okay, sounds great. Now, so that is how it works. Well, one of the reasons it's very important to understand that that's how it works is because if your JavaScript has has syntax errors, JS doc will not work. It will say, oh, syntax error, and it will fall over. Just like ESLint won't give you reasonable answers, it will tell you there's a syntax error, but it can't go any further. And your IDE will stop giving you sensible messages and stuff because if you're talking garbage, you're talking garbage. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So Now, the next concept is JS Doc uses this thing called a name path, right? So JS Doc refers to everything that you can document as a symbol uh, so a function, a variable, a class, a module, a thing, right? If it's a thing, JSDoc calls it a symbol, and it has to have a unique name for it internally inside its own brain, because how else can it work with it? Uh, and so for that reason, if you have things inside things, you have to be a little bit descriptive about how you get to the actual thing you're talking about. And to do that, JSDoc uses one of three separators to stick things together. So the first separator is the octothorpe slash hash slash pound, the thing with the two vertical and the two horizontal lines, <laughs> right? And that means that something is an instance variable or function. So if you have a class and then you have instance functions or instance variables, then you connect them to the class with the pound sign. So class name, pound sign, variable name, or class okay. name, pound sign, function name. That's if it's simple. a static, yeah, if it's a static function or a static variable, it's a period or a dot instead of the pound. What do you mean by a static function? So, okay, so when you're writing a class, you can say static and then the name of a function, and then the function is associated with the class, not with the instance. Oh, so if you have gotcha. God, I don't yeah. remember writing that, but that makes sense. Yes. So if it belongs to the class, in other words, there's one of them for, if for it's shared every by instance. every instance, okay. it belongs to the class, not the instance, because there's only one of them in total. And so to tell those apart, you use the period to say okay. this is the inst this is an instance function or an instance uh, variable on this class. And then the other wait, thing wait, you wait, can wait. have I is think you just mixed it up. The the instance variables or instance functions yeah, are, the, are the pound. Up. The dot is, in your show notes, you say my class dot my static function. That makes yes, sense. which okay. is correct. My show notes are correct, and I just, I said it right, and then I said it wrong, just to confuse <laughs> everyone. Okay. Yes. And then the last thing you can have is containment, right? So you can write a function 
inside a function. And we know from the ages and ages ago that the scope of that function is up until the next curly bracket. So that function only exists within the function it was created in. Right. It can have the same name as another function somewhere else. So to describe it uniquely, you actually have to say the function called boobity-boo inside the other function. Okay. So you do that with the tilde. So my function tilde my inner function. Okay. So tilde means containment. So instance, static, and containment. And that describes how things nest together. And that allows us to build up a path. All right. The final piece then is JSDoc learned the ability to deal with modules many years after it was first created because modules did not exist when JSDoc was first created. They were invented in 2016. Sorry, 2015. Yeah, ES, ES6 came out in 2015. So they had to retrofit in support for modules. And a module can have the same name as something in the global scope. So the only way they could make it work is to prefix modules with module colon. Okay. So you can tell the difference between a variable called boopity boo and a module called boopity boo because it'll be module colon boopity boo for the module. Okay. So it's a bit of a hack, but there really was nothing else they could do. So you have to prefix modules with module colon. So putting it all together, imagine I have an instance function named can has that belongs to the class lolcat, which is inside a module called memes. Then the full path is module colon memes tilde lolcat pound sign can has. <laughs> I'm sorry, I would have liked it better if can has actually had a uh, uh, an inner function as well so that you could have... I- Mm. Oh no, you did a tilde though. Yeah, I got one in there. But you did yeah, get one in there. <laughs> yeah, intro. Hmm. I wonder. Anyway, yes, you can basically you can keep nesting them. It, 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 it can be separators all the way down. <laughs> the point being, if you need to reference one thing from another, you may be forced to use these name paths, and you'll also see them because when JS Doc shows you things. It will show you with the shortest name it can get away with. But if there's confusion, well, it's going to have to use the full path. And then it will use the tildes and the pound signs and the whatnot. So you will see them. You will see them. Okay. So now let's look at the syntax. So everything is built around these so-called doc comments. They are pieces of documentation interspersed with your code. And so everything you do in JS Doc is inside these doc comments. And if you don't put a doc comment on something, JS Doc will pretend it doesn't exist. So if you have a variable that you do not put a doc comment before, as far as JS Doc is concerned, there is no such variable. So if you take your source code and you don't have a single doc comment and you run it through JS Doc, you will get the world's most boring documentation on planet Earth. Hmm. It will say there is nothing here. So you do actually have to write your doc comments on the things you want to document. So I used to see, I didn't think that was true because Java doc, which is the granddaddy of JS doc, does not work that way. And Java doc, if you run Java doc on a class file with no doc comments, it will give you empty placeholders. But JS doc just gives you nothing. So, so I actually had written my show notes as if it would fill in, leave me all the placeholders. And then I tried it and it just gave me an empty document. It's like, no, oh, I should have read the manual. So uh, 
is that on purpose? Like, are there just functions and variables you don't need to document? Yeah. So why yeah, make realistically, the answer is yes. Yeah. Because okay. if you think about it, inside a variable, how many functions do you create that exist for three lines of code and then never exist again? Yeah. I mean, you'd have to document i equals zero. Yeah, exactly. It, it would get ridiculous. Yeah. It would get So I, I think on balance, it's the right choice, but it did surprise me a little bit. Okay. Because I, like I say, I've come to JS doc through Java doc and I keep on conflating the two from time to time, including when I speak English. <laughs> so I am probably going to say Java Doc a few more times, but if you would be so kind as to correct me. Oh, um, I'd, I'd hate to do that. <laughs> anyway, so Doc comments are the container into which we write our stuff. Okay. And our stuff consists of freeform paragraphs of text. So we just write text. And something called block tags and something called inline tags. And then the final piece of the puzzle is that some of these tags expect to be told about types, as in, is this an array? Or in fact, is it an array of strings? Or is it an array of objects, each of which contains, you know. So a type expression is the name JS doc gives a description of the type of something. Okay. And so they can be very, very simple, string, or they can be very complicated. An object that contains four keys, you know, A, B, C, and D. A is an int, B is a string. You know, they, they can get very detailed. And are you free to do the level of detail at your own discretion? Yes. Or is there a yes. supposed to in there? No. Okay. There, well, as much as is needed for someone reading your docs to do the right thing would be my <laughs> metric, right? Okay. If leaving it out makes your code difficult to use, then don't leave it out. If putting it in makes your documentation pointlessly complicated and helps no one, yeah, don't put it in. Okay, okay. Makes sense. At the end of, yeah, it's about serving the reader, right? Mm -hmm. Which is probably future you more than anything else. One, so. one little pitch I'd like to make there is to, to think when you're writing documentation of the other person as your customer, if you want hmm. something from that customer, you have to give it to them. You have to give them the information in a way they can absorb it. It's not about what yes. you, you think they should understand. <laughs> it's about, that's a mistake a lot of people make, right? Hmm. Like they try to tell somebody something in the way they should understand it. Well, that doesn't serve you at all. And if you need them to do something for you, because they're your customer, like you need them to buy your product, you need to speak to them the way they can hear it. So writing your yes. documentation in a way that the other person can hear it, especially if it's future you. <laughs> well, you Very should have important. remembered. Well, okay, how far yeah. is it? Is that going to serve your customer? Nope. Yes. Yeah. And what you've described there is I have found in my many years of experience the difference between good lecturers and bad lecturers. Mm -hmm. Good lecturers teach what you should know. It's like, well, you should know this. Like, yep, I don't. That's why I'm listening to you. <laughs> yep, yep. Anyway, um, so there are our parts, right? Doc comments contain tags of two types, and those tags can contain type expressions. So there are moving pieces. So let's look at those pieces in a little more detail. So the most important one is the doc comment. So JavaScript, being a C-style language, allows multi-line comments by starting with a slash star, and then running as many lines of comments as you like, as long as you end with a star slash. And by convention, people often put a star on the front of every line of the comment when they do that. Just so it lines it looks up pretty. nicely. Okay. Yeah, so it lines up nicely, so it looks pretty. That is 100% optional. Okay. 
but really, after that first star, you could write anything. You could write absolutely anything. So to piggyback off this, JS Doc adds an extra star slash star star. And so that has no meaning to JavaScript because JavaScript sees slash star and it stops paying attention. It is completely blind to everything until it sees a star slash. JS Doc, on the other hand, utterly ignores everything until it sees slash star star. And then JS Doc goes, ha ha, you called. You summoned me. And then JS Doc treats the rest of the comment as a doc comment. So slash star star means pay attention, JS Doc, I'm talking to you. And from that point on, it has become a doc comment. That's a very subtle difference. I read through these show notes and I didn't know what you meant when I got to, you, he's got a sentence that says, doc comments start with slash star star and purely by convention, all lines within the com- comment are started with a star. They end with a regular star slash. And I got to regular star slash. I'm like, what do you mean regular? And I had to read it <laughs> twice before I realized it started with star star. Yeah. Slash star star. So you can see it in the example how subtle it is. Slash star star, a regular multi-line comment star slash versus slash star star star, a doc comment. That extra star is very important. Slash star. (laughs) Yeah, I got down to that part and went, oh, oh, that's what he meant. That's that's, I'm going over it twice or three times here because I want to make sure everybody heard that. That is is subtle. I did. Actually, I'm not sure this... Maybe I will pop this in the show notes, but basically, because doc comments are so important to me, I never do regular multi-line comments. If I want to comment over multiple lines, I just start multiple lines with slash slash. Just so you never confuse the two? Yeah. So to me, slash slash is it's a comment and slash star star is it's a doc comment and I never, ever, ever use slash star. Interesting. I only just realized that now, now that I describe it to you, but that's how I've been coding for Decades. decades. That's how you've kept oh, yourself. I really do mean decades, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. All right. I think we've beaten that into the ground, but I needed to say it over and over again to get it into my little yeah. pea brain. Hmm. Um, so next, let's look at these tag contraptions. So the first type of tag is a block tag. And by far, the majority of the tags are block tags. And a block tag has a name that's prefixed with the at symbol. So whenever you see at... You say, oh, we're starting a block. And they have to be the first thing of significance on the line. And by thing of significance, I mean not your indentation and not the optional leading star. Because the indentation and the optional leading star are ignored. So the first real content of a line, if that's an at symbol, then you're starting a new block tag. And then the tag it is is basically determined by what comes after the at. So at returns is the block tag for describing a return value. So we're, I think you're going to get into this, so I'm sort of leading the witness, but mm-hmm. what is there an infinitely huge list of block tags? Or are there five? It's not infinite. It's not infinite, but it's quite a bit bigger than you might guess at first blush. Um, I will be forcing you to, not forcing, strongly recommending you read the fine manual. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things about the, the documentation for JS Doc is the alphabetic listing of tags. And I am forever going to that page doing control F or a command F, depending on whether I'm in Windows land or Mac land, and finding the tag I need and then clicking on it and getting the documentation. Because after you do at name of tag, every tag gets to set its own rules for what should come after the name of the tag. So you need to go read the manual to make sure that you're not typing garbage. 
Now, the good news is they're very consistent. They're generally logical. So a lot of the time you'll get to guess and you'll guess correctly. If you guess wrong, you'll generate your docs and it won't be right. Uh, and then you go read the manual. That's what I just did quite a few times this weekend because it's been a while since I've written a bunch of JavaScript code because at the moment, my work hat is entirely writing bash scripts of all things. <laughs> um, I'm getting very good at bash scripts, which is uh, an interesting blast from the past. But anyway, uh, so definitely... So anyway, the, the key point is at name of tag starts a block tag and then everything until the next at is part of that tag. So you can spread your block tag over multiple lines. So they're named very similar to HTML tags, right? Paragraphs and headers are called block tags in HTML as well. And it's actually quite a good analogy. It doesn't so smell paragraph, like it at all to me. It smells like I'm defining what something does. Absolutely you are. But in terms of how it is, how it behaves in terms of the typing, it's very much... At name of tag, think of it as starting a paragraph and it will continue until the next at. Okay. And you can spread it over as many lines as you like. Like a paragraph can be spread over multiple lines. Oh, okay. Okay. The inline tags then, for, of which there are a grand total of one for our point, from our point of view. There actually is a second one, which we may meet later, but effectively there's one. Are a bit like bold tags and italic tags in HTML. They cover a part of a block. Right, A paragraph will be a few words in bold, unless you're being silly. Um, right, And the one, the one inline tag we're going to use is the at link tag. And obviously a link is something that goes inside some text. A link goes inside some text? Right, you have a paragraph that contains a link. Well, a link can be by itself not in a paragraph. Well, then it's the entire paragraph. It's a paragraph that contains a link and nothing else. Okay. Okay. A paragraph is a thing on its own. A link is a thing that goes inside some text. Huh. Okay. It's called an inline tag anyway. And the difference <laughs> between an inline tag and a block tag is an inline tag is curly bracket at symbol. Name of tag, contents of tag, close curly bracket. All right. And we only care so about at link? Yeah, there's one other one we might care about in the future. I haven't quite decided if we will, but there are no others because we will be using, we'll go into this in more detail next time, but we will actually be using Markdown for our markup. Okay. So JSDoc doesn't reinvent the wheel. It doesn't give us markup language. It just allows us to describe the what. And if we want to make things bold and italic, we use Markdown. Okay, great. Which is nice and user-friendly. And so I've, since I convinced you Markdown doesn't suck quite a few years ago now, that this is good. It's still extremely limited and it irritates me daily, but... Yeah. It, there's a very, very small subset of it you actually need for documentation. I mean, Basically, how, how the code tag. alt tags? Doesn't have alt tags. Come on. Uh, well, images aren't actually something you put into doc comments at right. all. There is no support for images, so problem sure. solved. But I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying Markdown in general. Like, how could you not? But you can it? do all tags. It's oh, very easy to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know I'll, that. I'll okay. show you the syntax. But okay. no, there absolutely is the syntax uh, because otherwise it wouldn't be um, accessible. Exactly. Okay. And you I couldn't do you XKCD could. com comics because <laughs> you have to have hover text. Okay. So actually, you, you'll find them in show notes from uh, Security Bits because I always have, when I include an, an um, XKCD as my uh, palette cleanser, it will have alt text. 
Okay. In Markdown. I but know, anyway, I know it doesn't have. You can't open in a new tab. Uh, correct. That's the thing you can't do. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, as an example of a, of an inline tag, there's a there's a there's a nice useful block tag called at c, which is a way of basically saying if you'd like some more information, it's over there. So an at c is basically for more go here, and at c tags very often contain links because you very often want to draw people's attention to something. So an example here is at c at link. So you start with the URL and then space followed by the alt by the text for the link. So in this case, at link, the URL to the Wikipedia page on pancakes followed by Wikipedia's page on pancakes, close to curly bracket. So that will become a link with the text Wikipedia's page on pancakes that when you click on takes you to Wikipedia's page on pancakes. <laughs> okay. Right, there we go. So that is how inline tags work. Then now, the last piece I of... You, our- I think you skipped over something here uh, when you talked about block tags. Uh, you talked about, or in your example, you have at returns and then you did squiggly brackets string. Is there a name for yes. what that is? Yes, they would be the type expressions we're going to get to oh, right now. Sorry. <laughs> okay. No, no, not sorry at all because I had no choice but to sneak those in because... It wouldn't have made sense anyway. Where does the sellotape start? (laughs) Okay. So those squirrely brackets you'll find all over the place, and they're how JSDoc says it wraps basically type expressions inside those squirrely brackets. So whenever you need to tell JSDoc what type something is, you will do it in squirrely brackets. And this is actually really, really important because... Other people's code is basically a bunch of black boxes, right? They tell you its name, they tell you what you're supposed to put in, and they tell you what they're going to give you back out, right? That is, other people's code is inputs, a promise, and some outputs. So if you're describing them in documentation, you've got to describe what I expect in, and I have to describe what I will give you out. And that is types all the way down, right? I want a string and a number, and I will give you back a boolean. I want an array of strings and I will give you back a number, right? That, that, is, that is the absolute basis of other people's code, is inputs, outputs. I like to think so, of it as uh, in circuit boards, you've got, you know, you've got an ASIC or something there. You've got to tell somebody what goes in and what comes out. Yeah. In order and for you the better give them the right voltages. In. Yeah, the right yeah. voltage. <laughs> because, right, if you don't adequately describe that you need a square wave, and it can't have a voltage higher than five. Well, if they shove 500 volts in as a sine wave, mm-hmm. whose fault is that? Yeah. Yours for not telling them. Right, right. You know, so, yes, it is absolutely fundamental to describe the what of inputs and outputs. And that are, they are type expressions. And they range from the trivially simple to the deviously complex. <laughs> and... With practice, what you will find yourself doing is getting more specific. So your first pass at some documentation, you're very likely to give a hand-wavy type definition where you might just say array. I want an array. And you'll just say no more. And the next pass through, you might say, actually, what I need is an array of objects. And then you might think about it a bit more deeply. And actually, what I need is an array of objects. And each object has to have a property named name and a property named price. And mm, I should probably describe that to the user. And before you get practiced with type definition or type expressions, you're going to do that in English. 
And then you're going to start removing your English and replacing it with type expressions. And the main reason you want to do it in type expressions is that JS doc will make them automatically links if they refer to something else in your documentation. Now, if you refer to the primitives like array and string, they're not going to be clickable because array and string just exist. But if you have a class called pancake and you refer to to that as, you know, I want a pancake as my input, that will become a clickable link to the pancake class. Hmm. Okay. So as you start to reference more of your own stuff, being more explicit will give the user clickable links to learn more. That is useful. That is very useful. So as an example, let's look at a first attempt at a doc comment, right? So we have a function called getMenu that takes no arguments, and it returns, well, obviously a menu. So our first attempt, we start off with some English. The menu as an object. Note, all prices are in euro. And then we have at returns, which is a block tag to describe the return value. And then inside squiggly brackets, our type specification, sorry, our type expression, array. And then our English description. An array of objects indexed by name, price, and description. Not bad as a first attempt at documentation, right? That does describe to you what I expect to be passed, or what I what I promise to return in this function, an array of objects, each one having a name, a price, and a description. Haven't told you that name is a string, or is price an integer, a double? Hmm, might be. A description's probably a string. So it's not a bad first go, but it's not great. So second attempt. We have the venue as an array of objects. Note that all prices are in euro. That's pretty much the same. At returns, inside our squarely brackets now, we have object square bracket square bracket. So now we're, that, that is the type expression for an array of objects. So if you want to say an array of something, just put square brackets after it. So that's right there is where I started to get confused scanning the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. I don't understand why it says object square brackets. Okay, so that is that is literally the type expression for array of objects. An array of the objects, way you say, not an object with an array inside it. Or No, no. So if you want an array of strings, it's string, square bracket, square bracket. If you want an array of numbers, it's number, square bracket, square bracket. So hmm. the syntax for saying an array of is to put square brackets after whatever what it is it's an array, array of. of. Okay. Okay, so I wasn't supposed to already know that. Good. Correct. Okay. Correct. So we're building up our knowledge here. Okay. And we still have in English, each object is indexed by name, price, and description. So the type the type expression is only telling us it's an array of objects, and we're still falling back on English to tell us what's in each of those objects. Yeah, an array of objects. Okay, you make that, you know, as you would say, can you make that jump a little bit higher? <laughs> oh, right, each of them has got a name, a price, and a description. Better, but still not great. So now let's go to a correct third attempt. And this is what I mean by getting deviously complicated. So our English can now become quite simple. The menu is an array of records. Note that all prices are in euro. At returns, open squarely, Open a second squarely, name colon string, comma, price colon number, comma, description colon string. Close this first squarely, 
square bracket, square bracket, and then close the final squarely. So, so let now, me see if I can figure that out. So since you did a second squirrely inside the original squirrely, mm-hmm. but followed it by a square bracket, you're saying this is an array, and inside it, it has these name value pairs of name, price, and yes. description. Correct. And it's exactly. inside of a squirrely exactly. outside of that, because that's what is being returned. Correct. That's the, the type tag. Correct, correct, correct. Oh, that okay. is it perfectly. So okay. it is logical, but that has become a bit of an essay, right? Now, the information here is very accurate, right? It is an array of identical objects, each of which has a name that is a string, a price that is a number, and a description that is a string. So it's very factually correct. And if some of those things were, were like classes of our own making, they would be clickable links in the produced documentation. So it's good, but it's not short, and it's not particularly friendly on the poor consumer of your documentation. Now, if you used that structure, that name, price, description, contraption, once in your entire code base, then it's reasonable to write that ugly type expression once. If your code hands about objects like this all over the place. If you have this same type of object appearing in five or six different functions, then copying and pasting that glop should, at this stage of your programming journey, start to have a bad smell. Okay. So you should give a name to that concept you've just made up. You should, get, you should turn that into a named thing. And you can just make up your own types. You just give them a description, give them a name, and then describe them. And then from then on, anywhere else in your documentation, you refer to them by the name you just made up. So, And you do that. Okay, go ahead and finish, and then, and then I'll jump back in. Okay. So the name for a type you've just made up yourself is a type definition, and the tag is at type def. Okay. So... Here we have, so the way these things always work is the English paragraph comes first and then the tags. So we have a menu item is just a English description of this new type we're inventing, right? A menu, a menu item. At type def menu item. That at type def space menu item, we are now telling JS Doc forevermore, whenever you see menu item in a type expression, I mean this thing I'm describing here. Okay. And it will become a link to the HTML version of this thing I'm describing here. So we say at type object. In other words, my fancy thing is a special object. It's an object with some extra rules. So we basically set the the base type, right? So if you were defining positive integer, you would say at type number, and then you just put in your English a number that must be greater than zero, right? But in this case, we're saying at type object, and then we need to describe each thing inside the object. So our object is going to have at property string name, the item's name, at property number price, the item's price in euro, at property string description, a short sentence describing the item. Okay, so So we have now... In terms of the way you've written that, though, it says at property, squiggly bracket string, and then space name. But name isn't inside squiggly bracket, so that's not really... It's named name. 
So if you look back up, we were saying that each of our objects has a name that is a string, a price that is a number, and a description that is a string. Yeah, yeah. I, I follow what it's doing, but it's, I sort of feel like the word name, it's not inside, it doesn't have an at in front of it, and it's not inside the squiggly bracket. No. It looks like generic text, because it says name yeah, dash JS the item's name. JSDoc does that. The first, the first word is, generally speaking, some sort of identifier. Wow. That's, that's tricky. That's that's going to take some getting used to. Because you could have written name, Thank- comma, then what ah, would it be? No. The dash is an optional separator that JSDoc allows you to use, which will be omitted from the final documentation. And its only function in life is to make your doc comment easier to read. So that dash acts as a little separator between the, the name and the English description. So let's talk, let's use the one that says property let's number price. price. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so if you add the dash, you're saying that everything after the dash will not be in the documentation, but it makes the documentation easier to read. Okay, everything after the dash is English description. Everything before the dash is part of the specification of the property. Got you. Okay. So when you say price dash the item's price in euro, the item's price in euro will be in the documentation, but it won't be part of the, uh, the tag. Exactly. So that okay. is the, the description. So basically we're saying this object, every object that is a menu, every menu item will have, will be a dictionary that has a price, which is a number. And the description in English that will appear next to that is the item's price in euro. Okay. Okay. So type, name, description. So uh, this is much easier to read. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, li- I like it. I'm having a little trouble understanding why you would ever use this type def again. Okay, so that type def, you, de- you describe the type def once. Mm-hmm. And then every other place in your code where you use a menu item, you now just say menu item as the entire type description. So an array of menu items becomes menu item square bracket square bracket. So our entire big icky thing from a correct from our third attempt has now been replaced with at returns menu item square bracket square bracket. Okay. And in the web page, that becomes a clickable link. So whenever you see menu item, it will be a link to the fully fleshed out description of what a menu item is. I'm guessing that as you start doing this, does that would your array actually be called menu item? Or oftentimes I would name my array whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well-named parameters are effectively self-documenting. Yeah. Okay. And you'll know something is self-documenting when you use JS doc, because you will just omit the dash and the English. Oh, right. Okay. Because frankly, name doesn't need dash the item's name. If I left out the dash, the item's name, it'd still be pretty darn obvious what's going on. Right. Price. Uh, Price needs the English to say it's in euro. Description I could have left out too, except for the fact that I decided to say it was a short sentence describing the item. Oh, there you go. <laughs> right, but it, yeah, the name dash is entirely overkill. Whew. So now, bookmark the docs. Bookmark the docs, bookmark the docs. Can't say it often enough. I will also say... They look like they time traveled from the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tid, they, tidbits they are the would, ugliest. Tidbits would appreciate them. <laughs> or Steve Gibson. Steve Gibson. GRC is perhaps slightly less modern. Right. Like, There's no bootstrap anywhere near these. No, 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 no. However, the alphabetic listing of tags on the front page is supremely useful. 
Uh, as is the description above it of the command line arguments. Both of those pages I visit quite often. And the single most important page is the, if you scroll down in that alphabetic listing of tags, there is one called at type. The at type tag describes the syntax for type definitions. Hmm. With examples. The oh, with so examples this is the part, one where I'm stuck, where this this should help me. Correct. That of all of the pages of the documentation I have opened the most often, it is the the description of at type. Okay. And that table of all the different options, that is vitally important. You know, it's funny, I don't actually uh, bookmark very many things, and I think this is a case of where I probably won't either, because it's jsdoc.app. So I'm just going to oh, yeah, type jsdoc and it's going it. to pop right up. When I say bookmark it, to me, the bookmark exists up here. I'm tapping on my head. <laughs> yeah, so use the, use the documentation constantly. Correct. Okay, Perfect. so we're, we're not dummies if we don't memorize them all on day one. Ever. Or on day 1000. <laughs> okay. Right, remember, remember the skill of being a programmer is to know what is possible and where to go find out how? Yeah. It's not to know, it's to know how to find out. Right, right. So this has all been very abstract. So let us now concrete this over with a worked example or a worked illustration, as I've decided to call this one. So inside the installment zip file, there will be a folder called PBS131A, which is a Node.js package, which contains an example module that we're going to document. So if you open that folder in your favorite terminal app, and we're going to use npm ci to install all of our dependencies, mm -hmm. uh, and then chmod plus x main.mjs to make our example file executable. That worked. So the file we'll be documenting is uh, contains a class called replicator, which is defined in src forward slash replicator.class.mjs. So that file contains a module, which is the single class that represents a Star Trek style transport, or not a transporter, a... Um, replicator. A replicator, a yoki for making food as if by magic. T. Earl Grey hot. Um... So the module provides a basic menu by default, the ability to add items to the menu, and each replicator you make from the class has a finite amount of energy, and every time you replicate something, it consumes a different finite amount of energy. So pancakes take a different amount of energy to whatever else I put in there. Can't remember what else, I just want pancakes. Um, <laughs> there, there is something else in there. Uh, it might be something stupid like a salad. Uh, it's popcorn. I put in. Popcorn. I put in popcorn for you. Exactly. <laughs> I wanted waffles, but there is no emoji for waffles, and I feel the Belgians have been discriminated against. That, that really is, uh, I think we need to start a, uh, a movement. I, I, I honestly think, I'm actually genuinely tempted to try get a petition into uh, the that forum that handles the emoji, emoji every year. Not Emojipedia, is it? No, Emojipedia is a website describing them all. It's the, oh, the response for the whole of UTF. Forum. Yeah. Unicode forum or something That's like that. A, yeah. All right. We'll start a movement. We'll start a... Uh, yeah. a, I, a I'm, I'm actually genuinely tempted because I'm shocked. I'm genuinely shocked there's no waffle emoji. There's taco, no waffle. Anyway, so that's what our code is going to describe. Uh, our, our, sorry, our replicators can also be recharged so we can put more energy into them. So the file main.mjs imports the module and demonstrates what it does. So if you look at the code... Uh, it's basically import replicator from then the path to the replicator file. 
Then we create a replicator called const kitchen friend equals new replicator. And then we console.log initial charge colon kitchen.friend.charge. Kitchen friend.charge. That's the one kitchen friend is what I called it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then we can uh, show all the menus that are available. Console.log the menu comma replicator.menu. So that is a class uh, attribute because it's replicator dot not kitchen friend dot. So there's a difference in static and um, mm. instance. So charge is instance, menu is static. Let's have a pancake. Console.log kitchen friend dot replicate pancakes. Console.log remaining charge. So we can see how much that's consumed. Now, the menu doesn't contain any tacos, so let's add some tacos to the menu. menu item taco, the emoji for taco, 42. And 42 tacos is how much are... energy it takes to make a taco? Yeah, tacos are very energy dense. <laughs> I mean, think of the calories you get out of a taco. Very energy dense. <laughs> so then we can, uh, you know, have two tacos. Console.log kitchen friend replicate taco comma two. Ooh, our function has an optional argument. That'll be interesting to look at later. Okay. Um, Console.log remaining charge, right? So when you run that, what you basically see is initial charge 100, the menu, pancakes, energy cost 11, icon, some pancakes, popcorn, energy cost 1, icon, some popcorn, because popcorn, you can have a lot of popcorn for a stack of pancakes. <laughs> um, then we see a pancake is spit out. We then have 89 charge left. We update the menu by adding in some tacos. We then have two tacos. That has us down to five as a charge, and then our program stops. I love it. I love it. This is the best example you've ever come up with, where literally the emoji are the return values that we're getting. <laughs> it's returning tacos. My, my obsession with food, my obsession with emoji, and my obsession with daft examples have finally come together. <laughs> I've unified them. Pile. <laughs> so uh, inside the folder, there's a file package.json. That uh, specifies JS doc as a dev dependency. So when you did an NPM CI, you installed JS doc. There's also a file called jsdoc.conf.json, and that defines the minimum possible JS doc configuration I can get away with. I wanted to get away with zero JS doc configuration so that we could just use the command line. But uh, JS doc and Node.js have a little bit of a disagreement. JS doc thinks that unless it ends in .js, it's not a JavaScript file and therefore it will ignore it. And Node.js insists that all modern modules must be in MJS files or it will treat them as old-fashioned modules and not newfangled ones. Mm. So one wants one, the other wants the other. The only way to square that circle is with a config file that tells JS doc that actually MJS files really are JavaScript files. Okay. So that is the purpose of the config file. And while I was writing one anyway, I decided well, let's just do what I always do and enable markdown support. So plugins, plugin slash markdown is enabling markdown support in JS doc. And that's in the js.conf.json. Okay. Correct. So next time we're going to look, that JSON file is going to become way bigger as we actually configure JS doc. But hmm. I couldn't get away with zero. So here we have a very, very minimalistic JS doc configuration file. Okay. Now, uh, let us start with what I call the null example. So the SRC folder contains a second copy of our code called replicator.class.nodocs.mjs. That is the bare JavaScript code without a single comment, let alone a doc comment. That is 
the world's worst code, you could argue, utterly okay. uncommented. Okay. So let us run that through JS doc. So this is a copy and paste job, but the command is npx space js doc space minus c js doc.conf.json minus d docs dash v0 space src forward slash replicator dot class dot no docs dot mjs. So what's going on here? So npx is a piece of magic that was added to more recent versions of Node.js. npx searches your node underscore modules folder for an executable file with the name you just gave it. So inside that folder somewhere is a file called jsdoc that is an executable. I think it's node it's a node underscore modules forward slash js doc forward slash bin forward slash js doc if memory serves. But I don't need to remember anymore. Because npx will find it for me. So npx js doc just basically goes and finds js doc. Minus C followed by the path to our config file tells js doc use this configuration. Minus D is the name of the output folder. So D for destination. So it's actually going to create that destination folder if it doesn't exist? Correct. And if it does exist, it will replace its contents oh. with a new website. Okay. So be careful you Oh, well, you want it, it to do that because you're going to be telling it to generate this over and over again. You don't want to... It needs to Correct. just replace it. Correct. Okay. Correct. And then the final unnamed arguments are the files to go and actually document. So that could be lots and lots of files in a real-world example. So you'd probably just give it a folder and tell it to recurse into the folder. So there's a minus or flag for recursive. And so you would just say S or C, minus, you know, minus or, and then S or C. And it would just get everything in the source. So um, I said it out loud, but then I'm wondering, is it actually true? Every time mm -hmm. you want your docs updated, you have to run this command manually? Correct. Huh. Uh, mm, no, the command has to be run. <laughs> Computers are here to do our bidding. So next week, we will learn how to make the computer do our bidding. Okay. But under the hood, the command will be run. Okay. But I'm not going to have to type all that glop every time. No, you are not. That's pretty you understandable, though. I mean, I was just going yeah, yeah, to expand or snippet for it. But if I don't have to. No, no, you won't even need to do that. Okay. That would work, but you won't even need to do that. There is, the, there is a better way. Okay. But that is next week's, uh, next, sorry, next time's fun. Okay, so if you run that, you will get a new folder called docs-v0. And in there is an entire website. And the entry point for that website is index.html. So if you open index.html in your favorite browser, you will see a website that contains nothing. So that's, again, because you didn't put any doc comments in. There are zero doc comments in that file. Therefore, when JSDoc ran, it made a button to take you to the homepage and an empty homepage. And when you click the button, you go back to the empty homepage. That is, that is <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> All right. That page is listing everything JSDoc knows about. It knows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so now let's, let's, let's stop messing around. Let's now do it for reals. So the actual file, uh, replicator.class.mjs, inside that SRC folder, that is fully documented. So we're going to look at that in a moment. But before we look at the doc comments, let's make the documentation. So our command is a little bit bigger this time for some reasons I'll describe in a moment. So it's npx jsdoc minus c jsdoc.conf.json minus d docs. So we only want 
we're going to use docs as the output, which is the normal default. That's the normal place you'd put documentation. Minus capital O readme.md, put a pin in that. SRC forward slash uh, replicator.class.mjs space SRC forward slash star.js doc. So we're telling JS doc to use a readme file for a reason that will become obvious shortly. And we're giving it multiple files to read from. So we're giving it the class file and then we're telling it and every file that ends in JS doc. So what's going on there? Well, the answer is our type definitions, they don't actually go, I don't want those type definitions in the module because those type definitions are global. So I actually have a separate file where I just put all of my type definitions. And I usually do this because I want the type definitions to just exist everywhere in JSDoc's brain. And so I make a file called types, typedefs.jsdoc and I put all of my type definitions in there. I didn't follow that. You're saying, I thought you put your type definitions, I I mean, I thought you put everything inside the code as you're writing it. What do you mean it's in a separate? Right, okay. So a comment describing a variable goes above the variable. A comment describing a class goes above the class. A comment describing something you've made up goes above, oh, there is nothing for it to go above. Um, I thought we said you were creating these definitions of things that you actually used and therefore you Correct. had to give them their own name so that you didn't have to type it over and over again into the doc. Correct. Right. But there's no piece of code that matches. These are things that exist purely for documentation purposes. They don't have a piece of code. There are pieces of code whose description will reference these things. But I, th- I thought uh, you did menu item and you've got menu okay, items. Okay, Exactly. So menu items is used to describe a function. So menu item is referenced in the functions doc comment, but it's defined in an entirely separate doc comment. If you scroll back up to the example, there are two doc comments in that example. There's one saying at type def menu item. Then there's a whole new doc comment for the function. Okay, and it's not associated with the function. The the type def is not associated with the uh, correct. Function. There's nothing oh, on the okay. next line, so the next line of it is blank. So in reality, that would actually be sitting in a separate file. So I have a file with all of my type defs huh. called type defs doc. Huh. Okay. But since they don't have a place, give them a. That place. is the place. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Since they don't have a place, I made a place. Um, put them in their place so they're easy to find. Okay. Because otherwise they're just littering your code. And then you, on a bigger project, if you have random type defs littering your code, you'll find them in your final documentation, no problem, because they'll be clickable links. But if you find a typo and you have 60 files, which isn't like, okay, the JavaScript code base I manage for work is hundreds of thousands of lines of code. If I have those doc types randomly scattered in the nested folder structure, I'll never find them. So they exist all in one nice shiny file called typedefs.js doc. And I can find them straight away. Okay. Okay. And how does one know, looking at your code, that typedefs.js doc exists? Well, because it's a file that's there. No, but I'm looking at your replicator uh, class, for uh, replicator.class.mjs. How do I know that typedefs.js.doc exists? In the same way, I guess, that you know that 
that pass file exists because it's in the source code. But the there so is no other magic way of knowing. Okay, so so the replicator.class.mjs does not reference typedefs.jsdoc at all. It's two no. two separate files. But since oh, but since you tell JSDoc, I'm going to need you to go get all of those JSDoc files. That's Correct. How, that's how it knows. Yes, okay. because remember, from JavaScript's point of view, that JSDoc file has nothing in it. Yeah, right, right, right. It only matters in JSDoc universe. Yes, exactly. So it only matters in JSDoc universe, which is why we tell JSDoc about it. Okay. But we don't tell JavaScript about it because right. it's got no JavaScript code in it. Okay. It's only JSDoc code. And hence the file extension is JSDoc to say, this is just documentation. This is not JavaScript. Okay. Right. So we suck those two files in and we tell it to produce our output. And so now when you do that, you get a new folder called docs. And unlike uh, the other folder, the docs folder is actually useful. Yep. Look at all those clickable links on the right sidebar. Got our PBS so, replicator. So let us, let us explore what it is we have created here. Okay. When I find the right window. Yeah. Ah, too many windows, too many windows. Okay. So let's go to the home page of our documentation. So the home page now has an English description. And so that pin I told you to put in readme.md, that is a markdown file that is used as the, as the landing page, and the minus capital or tag is how we did that. Hmm, okay. So it's minus capital or for readme. So traditionally speaking, you would use the readme file from your Git repo as the front page of your documentation. Oh. So it would actually be readme.md. So I better do a better job on that readme.md. Yeah. So you'll often notice, actually, when you go to a, a project's documentation and when you go to a project's GitHub page, the front page is the same. It's because it is the same. Okay. It is actually in is readme.md in both cases. So that's what gives you the body of the homepage. And then because we're using the default theme, the sidebar is on the right. Shouldn't be on the right. Should be on the left. Yeah. <laughs> we're using the default theme for this week and this week only. Okay. So the sidebar tells us what it is our documentation covers. And it has headings where it tells us what it has. So home is obviously a button to take us home. Then there's a heading modules, which lists all the modules in our code. Now, in my real world case, there are many modules listed here. In this trivial example, we have one module called PBS Replicator. So it's a list of one, which is why it's not very obvious it's a list. But it is a list of one. Then it lists all the classes that exist, regardless of what module they're in. We have one class, so it's a list of one called Replicator. And then there's a link to the global scope, which is all of the things JSDoc knows about that are not in a module and are not a class. So let's start by clicking on global. Can, can I ask, did you create this thing called module, this thing called classes, this thing called global, or is that automatically being create, generated? So I have a doc tag on the module Therefore, JSDoc knows about it, so it's in the list. Got you. I have a doc tag on the class, therefore it's in the list. Got you. Okay. Yeah. But that is a very that is a very perceptive question. And the answer is you put a doc tag on it and then it appears by magic. Not magic, by logic. <laughs> it appears by logic. I remember <laughs> okay. that. So our global scope contains our type definitions. Because they're not part of the package, I put them separate. So that means they just exist in the global scope. So our two type definitions are charge amount. Wait, how did you get to the, How did you get to that? I clicked on global. Global. Okay. In the sidebar. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I'm starting at the bottom of the sidebar. Okay. And this is part of your hatred of this theme. Global yes. is it, Global looks like the other things, but it's actually a link, but the ones below those don't aren't in blue and they are links. So, okay. Yes. <laughs> okay, global. Okay. So you said charge amount was that's in our type defs? Our type test file basically says what it is. So in this case, it says type number, not a very exciting type, a valid amount of replicator charge, specifically a whole number greater than zero. So that's descriptive. That tells me what it is. Um, one of the things the default theme does, by the way, is it links to the source code. So you can actually click and see the type def right there in your browser. Oh, look. I, I'm sorry. I need to stop us here for a second. I open okay. type typedefs.jsdoc from the source folder. And mm -hmm. it doesn't have this in there. It has a it has menu item, and that's all it has. Uh, if you have the latest version pulled, it definitely has both. Because how else could the documentation have both? So that tells me I'm not looking at the right thing. So I'm in the source folder. I'm in yeah. PBS one thirty one A. I'm in the source folder. I see replicator class uh, MJS and replicator class no docs MJS below that type defs.js doc. And I yeah. have. So oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. I do have two type defs. I'm sorry. Okay, okay so we only have two. Short. We only have two, correct. There are exactly two, so, and there are two in the, in the output documentation. Okay. Charge amount and menu item. Okay, I'm I'm still back to having trouble seeing what looks like a comment to me. I thought that was a comment at the top and below that one type def. Those are both type defs or both doc comments because they have slash star 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 star. Correct. That's going to take Again, a while to recognize. Use slash slash for multi-line comments and <laughs> slash star star for your type defs. Or oh, sorry, for your doc comments. Yeah, yeah, it's the only way you're going to keep your sanity. I think. Okay, so make so yes, you start are over type def. We have charge amount. Yeah, which is a number and then some English, right? Mm -hmm. That is a very, very simple type definition. A charge amount is just a number with some extra rules. The extra rules being whole number greater than zero. A menu item is more complicated. It says type object properties and then lists energy cost, which is of type charge amount, and then a description, icon, which is of type string, and then a description. And charge amount is a link because charge amount references our other type def. Now, in this case, it's a link to the same page. But if this was the real world and this page had scroll bars, clicking that would scroll us up to charge amount. Okay. All right. Then if we go to, say, modules, let's go to the PBS Replicator module. So just click on PBS Replicator. You can see we have an English description of the module. Why cook when you can use a replicator? Sadly, this module can't provide a real replicator, but it can at least give you a simulated digital one. Okay. Then it says two C's, links to is.js and lodash, because underneath it, it says requires module colon is.js, module colon lodash.es, because I actually used is and lodash. Then it tells us that this module contains a list of classes. The list is of can I, one Can I class. stop you for a second? So you in can. terms of really understanding this, uh, we sort of are caught between two worlds. We've got the code you used to write this, and we're looking at how it comes out when you're done. It's interesting Correct. to me that what, what Bart has written in his first doc comment says, for example, um, uh, at requires is underscore JS. And then it says at C, and it's got the link to is.js.org. But when it's mm -hmm. printed out, those two things are separated. This 
uh, both of the requires that he has, lodash and is underscore js, are separated. I'm not describing yes. this very well, but they're, they've changed yeah, order from the way, the way they are in the documentation. Correct. And that is the theme deciding how it wants to arrange things. So the theme is basically told, here are the things that I have text for. And it has decided that all the C's should go together and all the requires should go together. Right, right. Even so though the that's not the way assembled. it was written. Yes. You probably now, that actually have. has many advantages because you'll notice that your, your, your functions are in alphabetical order in the documentation, even though they are not in your source code. Mm. So there are, okay. it swings in roundabouts. So it lists all the classes that exist inside this module, all one of them. So again, this is a very contrived example. Then it lists all of the variables, which it calls members. There is one of them, it's called menu. And then it lists all the functions, which it calls methods, and there are two of them, assert charge and is charge. Now, let's look at some of those in more detail. So the class is just a link we'll follow later. The members then is listing the variables that exist inside the module. And you have the name of the variable in sort of black text. And then before it, some metadata, maybe. And after it, a type description. In this case, we have two pieces of metadata. Inner, comma, constant. So inner means it exists in the module, but is not exported. So it is purely internal to the module. It is a variable defined in that file that is not available inside my main.mjs because I do not export menu. Okay, let me see if I can say any piece of that back to you. Uh, mm -hmm. Menu is a variable? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, an, menu. it's yeah. an inner variable, which means it doesn't get exported. You're going to use it, Correct. but don't worry your pretty little head about it. And that Correct. type of variable it is, is a constant. So it says inner comma constant menu. Correct. Because when you look in the JavaScript, it's const menu. Okay. Not let, const. Right. Therefore, it gets marked. This is not editable, right? Const means can't change it. Mm -hmm. So that's important to note. I haven't had to write, I hadn't had to tell it that because it's a static code analyzer, it figured it out all by itself. Got it. Okay. And then it says colon, which makes me think we're about to talk about a module. Right. Well, in this case, the colon in the default theme after a name of a variable is the type definition. So object.string, menu item. In other words, it is saying is an object containing strings, each of which point at a menu item. So it's a dictionary where the keys are strings and the things are menu items. So how did they know they were menu items? That was well, back to our it. type defs. No, it doesn't. So if you open the file, the class file, and you look for menu, you will see it says at type. And it says it's an object, string, comma, menu item. Okay, we're so that's a bunch of syntax we haven't seen there. Object dot, and I so I thought it the, is an object. The dots and the colons all had to do with what we were talking about earlier about the path. In a name path, that is true. In a type description, that is not true. Okay, I don't know right, what a, a name, name path is going is. Then we haven't seen it yet, have we? Mm. No, we've only seen very short names. Menu is a relative name path. 
inside the modules, okay. just menu. Okay, so um, when we get to that, tell me that's what I'm looking at, because that's what I thought I was looking at. I was all excited. I saw the colon, and I remembered it had to do with modules, but it doesn't. Yeah, so in this case, in a type, so in a in a type description, the syntax is for types. In a name, pa- in a path, the syntax is for paths. I'm afraid that is okay. just the way of things. Okay, just, just like a regular expression, a dot means something different to what it means in a string. You know? Okay, so why is it uh, angle bracket string comma menu item close angle bracket? Do I am I supposed to already know that? No, that's what we're now describing. So if you have a dictionary, which is what an object is, right? We've described it as a dictionary. Then the question is, what are the keys and what are the values? Mm-hmm. So we are saying the keys are strings and the values are menu items. So if I had a dictionary of numbers, I would say string comma number. If I had a dictionary where the keys were numbers and the values were strings, I would say number comma string. Okay. So it's what are the keys comma what are the values? Okay. All right. And use angle brackets after a dot, after object. Object dot angle brackets is a way of describing the keys. So on an object, the angle bracket means I'm going to tell you what the keys and values are. Array dot angle bracket will only have one type inside it because an array can't contain. Right. So an array dot angle bracket string close angle bracket because... It's an array of doesn't make any sense. Right, right. Yeah. So if I were to go to, if I was to go to the jsdoc.app uh, documentation and I looked up the at type, I would eventually mm-hmm. somewhere in there find object and it would tell me how to do this and how to put Correct. in those angle brackets. Good. Correct. That is okay. one of the, that is one of the rows in that table. Excellent. That's where I got it from. Okay. <laughs> I forgot good. about it and I had to go look it up. That's okay. exactly where it came from. All right. And because menu item is something we've made up, it's a clickable link. So now when you click on it, it jumps you to the other page. That's actually useful. And then you can hit the back mm. arrow to go back where you came from. Okay. That took me back to my type def. Okay. Yeah. Which is what it should do, right? Right. So then we describe some functions. So methods are the name, the default theme. Oh, hang on. You, you buried a really great thing. It also says where it says object.string. or comma menu item, it says source replicator.class.mjs line 16. Correct. The default theme and most other themes embed a copy of the code. So when you click on that, it's actually syntax highlighted code with line numbers and everything. Ah, and the the type def if you go if if you hit menu item it takes you to the type definition that also yes. tells you it's in type doc so that's how i would know it was there yes yes exactly <laughs> okay all right i'm starting to love so it move, yeah i mean it's pretty powerful right it's it, not pretty powerful it's very powerful uh, so methods are the name the default theme gives to functions i really wish their vocabulary lined up with ours at all but it doesn't um and i think you taught us to see read Matthew methods and hear function I did, I did, I know, that. but still, still makes me mildly cranky. I wish I could change it, but the default theme does not make this configurable. Uh, so our methods then lists our functions. There are two of them, and they're in alphabetic order, even though in the code, they're in the opposite order. Mm. And again, we have some metadata, maybe, then in blackest text, the name of the function and the parameters or arguments it takes, and then an arrow, and then the return type. So an inner function named assert charge that has one argument called val that outputs a number. So that's a lot of information just in that one line. Hmm. So it's an inner, so it's not exported. This is its name. These are its arguments. And its return type is number. 
Okay, and the way you did that was it says at returns number in the dot comment right above assert charge. Correct. And then below that, we have description in a table of the parameters, and that's from the at param that you'll see in the doc comment. Yeah, so you've got at param, squirrely bracket, star, space, val. So star is the special value, is the special name for anything. (laughs) Right? The type of anything. And if you think about it, a function whose job it is to assert that the argument is something or other, well, really, you give it anything and it tells you whether or not it is a charge. Okay, so this this function is to make sure that it was a number when it gets there. But if since its job is to find out if it's a number and yell at you if it's not, then you don't, you need it to take as an input whatever garbage I typed in. Correct. Correct. The whole point of the function is take garbage, tell you something. Okay. So garbage is star, (laughs) right? Okay. Uh, But assert is the name I use when I have a function that doesn't just return a Boolean of yes or no, it throws an error when it's cranky. So that's to me, is and assert are the two words I use when I name my functions, right? That's my convention. It's it's not only my convention, it's a very common convention, but it's a convention I like. Yeah. So you'll see that in the doc comment, it says at throws and then the type of error it throws. Well, in the pretty documentation, it says throws colon, throws a type error if asserted value is not valid. So you see the way the Uh at throws tag becomes that piece of description. Yeah. I remember seeing you write that a long time ago and thinking that seems like a good thing. Yeah, it's a very good thing. I never got it to work in my own code, but okay. (laughs) Well, all it does is tell me what it does, right? The the, the doc comment doesn't do anything. It tells me, right? But it puts it in the documentation. And then the at returns tag becomes this this part of the documentation here that says returns the test value forced to be a number, which is what it returns, assuming it hasn't thrown an error. Mm -hmm. Our next function is the same idea again, right? Inner is charge val returns a Boolean. Test if a given value is a valid replicator charge. Parameters, anything, the value to test returns Boolean. Okay. And um, let me ask one more time. Inner means it's... It's a static It's not exported. No, oh. Inner means not exported. Not exported. Okay. It de- but it doesn't tell you whether it's an instance function or a static function. No, it just... Or it, a function. So inner is about, is it something published by the module or is it just mm. internal to the module? Okay. So you don't have any outer and that's why we didn't see it. Okay. Right. Well, okay. the module publishes one thing, which is a class, which is why the class replicator doesn't say inner replicator, it just says replicator. Ah. Because okay. it isn't inner, that is actually what we publish. Okay. Um, now, I do actually want to draw your attention to something. So if you look at the doc comment for is charge, there's a C, right? And in the output, it says C charge amount type definition, which is a link to the charge amount type definition. Hang on, hang on. Let me catch up. Uh, had to find it in here. So line 33. Got it. Okay. It, say what you said so, again. So the C tag is outputted in the documentation as the English paragraph, the charge amount type definition with charge amount as a clickable link to the charge amounts type definition. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. That's our other type definition with charge amount. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that is a link in the output of documentation inside the at C tag, and you can see the inline link tag is how we do that. 
Because how do I determine if something is a charge? Well, I follow the rules I define for myself in the charge, in that type definition, right? That is related content. So I have put an at C tag to tell me this function relates to this. Okay, I've I've lost which page in the website I'm supposed to be looking at to correspond. So you're to on that? The, you're on the page module PBS replicator. So if you go okay. in the okay. sidebar, pick PBS replicator, and okay. then scroll down to the very bottom is charge. Okay, there we got it. Okay, so source replicator class MJS, and see the charge amount type definition. Yeah, so why, that's a clickable link. Why did we want to see that? Well, is charge does what that char- what that type def describes so it is instead of me writing the same english again this function checks to see if it is an integer greater than or equal to 1 i just say at c charge amount and then if i change my mind on what a charge amount is i only have to change the one dot comment because i've linked to it with an at c tag hmm I guess I don't see what is charge has to do with charge amount. Is charge is a function to check if val is a charge amount. That's okay. its job in life. I, is this I, value? One remember, of those I haven't things? seen all the code and studied it, so it's not that's not jumping out to me. Okay. Okay, but that, that is an English description of what that function does. That function's job is to is to check if the value is a charge amount. So that okay. description of what a charge amount is is very pertinent. So I linked to it. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So that's where we go back and find out what should a charge amount be? Because this just came this came back and, and pooped at me because it wasn't a charge amount. Well, how do I make it be a what charge What is a charge amount? amount? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And actually, the one I really want to draw your attention to is the one above. So the, the function assert charge says data validated by the is charge function. So I am using a name path to make that link. Oh. The name path is actually a very simple name path. It's uh, simply is the name of the function. Okay. And that was in a surcharge. Okay. Yeah. So you can reference one thing from another, right? That, yeah. The at C tag is, is your way of basically saying that thing over there is relevant. That's easier than creating links within a page on uh, in HTML. <laughs> the, the simplification yeah. of that, just saying at C. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason you do that is because in the in the real world, your code changes all the time, right? You think it should do one thing, and then you find out it does something else. Well, if you have copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, mm-hmm. that's it. Your documentation is never going to be right. Just right, give right. up. But if you define it once and then at C, ah, now you only have to fix it once. I wonder if this will also catch... Um, I, I talked on... or. Maybe I will be. Can't remember whether I've talked about it already on the NoSilicast about how I had a problem with my code and I solved it by writing a letter to you and Dorothy that I never intended to send. So ah, I, I yes. essentially rubber duckied to myself. And pre- yes. but in order to write it to you, I had to explain what I was trying to do, and it kept I kept revising it and revising it and going back and well, wait a minute, let me fix that in the code so it makes more sense. And as I did it, I found not one, not two, but three functions that I never ever used in my code, <laughs> <laughs> and they were just like functions just sitting there. And I'm wondering whether as I went through this this process of having these things linked to each other, I go, wait, nobody's seeing this. You know, this function isn't being talked to by anything else. Maybe this doesn't need to exist. 
that is a way you could discover that. And the other way is ESLint would tell you there is unused code. Yeah, my ESLint was broken until today when I had a play date with uh, Helmo and she helped me figure out how it was broken. Because I told her, I said, you know what? ESLint hasn't yelled at me in a really long time. And I don't think there's a good chance I haven't made any mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take that as a given. So it's working now and it's very cranky with me. Yes. Okay, so final step here, let's have a look at the replicator class. So in the sidebar that's on the wrong side, under classes, click on replicator. Okay. So it says at the top, class replicator, and then it shows us the name path to the constructor. So PBS replicator tilde replicator, because the replicator class is contained within PBS replicator the module. I'm sorry, Bert. I, oh, you're talking about the, the very uh, at the very top. So this is the very, this is very that top. this is that uh, name path you were talking about. Yeah, you you wanted to say you know there are places it shows up. Well, here's a place where that tilde is used in the visual representation. Okay, let me it's go back. What was which one was tilde? Let me go. Hang on, I'm looking at it in the documentation here for container so-called inner functions. Function my inner function. Okay, so replicator is a function inside the PBS What's replicator class. Yeah, it's a cl- no, no. Class replicator is inside PBS replicator, right? Oh, PBS replicator is the module. Got you. Okay. Yeah, correct. So it's just a place where it's using the syntax. Uh, just a place where it's using the syntax to show you your context, right? Where am I? Oh, I'm in this class is in that module. Got you. Which is clickable, even though it doesn't look like a link, but it is clickable. <laughs> Default theme. Grr. Um. Okay, so a virtual Star Trek style replicator. So basically our class's description is coming from the dot com and sitting above the class keyword. And then our constructor is described in the dot com and sitting above the constructor. And so it tells us that we have a parameter called initial charge, which is of type charge amount. It's optional with a default value of 100. And then we get an English description. So that bears looking at it in more detail. So let's mm-hmm. have a look at that doc comment. So the doc comment is um, at param, open curly brackets, charge amount, close curly brackets. And then where we would normally just see the name, we instead have square bracket, the name equals something, close square bracket. Those square brackets mean optional. Hmm. What an and odd the equals one hundred. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I guess they run out of symbols. Uh, so the square brackets is optional, and the equals one hundred is how you say what the default is. I think it's especially annoying that they use square brackets because when it turns it into documentation, it's angle brackets optional. <laughs> well, that's the theme's choice, right? I mean, oh, really, okay. how, oh, is it? Yeah, how, yeah. That's the theme's choice, right? The, the okay. theme gets to decide how things look. Um, yeah, because yeah, it does. Um, so that is that is important to highlight, right? So if you have a parameter that's optional, you put it in square brackets in the doc comment, and then it will show up in the documentation as being optional. And if it's optional, it may or may not have a default value. So if you want to show a default value, then you can put an equals 100 or, you know, an equals whatever the default is. Okay, okay. So that's, yeah, as I say, that's, I just wanted to draw your attention to that. For the rest, it's basically the same as what we saw in the other functions and stuff, right? Whenever there's something that has a keyword static, when you look at it in the docs, it has that little, you know, less bright prefix of static in front of it. So add menu item is prefixed with static. Yeah, 
Yeah. This is this is starting to congeal, Bart. Good. Good. I think so, you probably went to a great deal of work to fabricate an example that was funny and interesting. <laughs> it, yeah. you know, tickled your fancy and yet hit each of these high points to make sure something showed up in the docs, like yeah, I having a, a default time, charge amount. Yeah, I spent a long time trying to make the sleeps to Christmas fit all of the needed things. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So that, that's, that's where this example came from. I may have been watching Star Trek at the time. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that is sort of where I want to draw a line under it for today because my voice is giving up and it's 20 to 1 in the morning um, yeah. and my dessert has been cooked for some time. But the oven has turned off, so it should still be fine. Um, so what we've done today is we've looked at the JS doc comment side of the equation. So we have added doc comments to some JavaScript code and it's all there for you to look at, but really... The documentation is the place to go. That's going to tell you how these things really work. And the worked example, I hope, is helpful to tie it together. Yeah, I think it really does. Um, like I said, I think it's you, you hit that sweet spot of enough complexity to cause this to be interesting and not so much complexity that my little head got hurt. Yeah, because there's one of everything, not 50 of everything. <laughs> right, right, right. So our next step in this story then is to have a little bit more control over the output. So we're not going to change the input next time. So the doc comments remain what they are, but the website we get out is going to be better. We're going to assert some control. We're going to add to it. We're going to make it better. Now I'm going to, you might, it sounds like you're trying not to spoil it, but I'm going to spoil it because of something very important. At the end of our previous installment, you asked people to help you find a better theme. And in mm -hmm. the time, I don't know whether you got any help, but you did get a better theme. I did find a better theme around about 15 minutes after the show was published. <laughs> I don't know why Google gave me a result Google hadn't given me before, because I don't think I used a different search term, but I decided to have one more go. And I found one called, what was it, something very sensible, like clean-jsdoc-theme, which just sounds like exactly what I wanted. <laughs> sure does. Okay, good. But I'm glad, I'm glad you found one that you like. And that, that's why he's allowed to have complained so heavily about how yeah. weird this Terrible. theme is, the, the default theme is. Yeah, because, yeah, we're going to do better. So, yeah, we have a lot to learn about next time because we also need to solve this problem of typing those horrible big commands. We also need to solve the problem of our two audiences because right now everyone sees the inner stuff, right? There's one mm. copy of the documentation, inner, outer. It's all published together. It's all in one giant big mess. So we need to do something about that. Right. Um, so that is all on our agenda for next time. All right. Well, this was fun. I enjoyed the heck out of it. And I'm, I'm uh, glad you put in as much effort as you did to make it awesome. I love it. Excellent. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was I've been looking forward to teaching you this for a long time because I think it's really cool. <laughs> I really, really, really like good documentation. And I like how JS Doc makes that so much part of my workflow. So anyway, I really enjoyed it. So uh, until next time, folks, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to let's-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. 
Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.